the breeze is up. That's all right. It's not. It's clip- not too noticeable. It's not clipping the mics. It's just. It just makes okay. it, it makes it sound like the cicadas are louder. <laughs> All right, it's just it's just more background hiss. That's all. So, hang on, just in case you want to include any of the um, the drama of the admin. <laughs> How are we deciding who goes first? Fuck, I didn't think of this. Let me have a look. Is there like a random uh, letter picker? I know they have like wheel apps where you can just sort of spin to see. Problem is, we have to, you have to. Be confident that one of us isn't. Alright, r- random letter. Oh, here we go. Letter pick a wheel. So, what's your middle name? Since we have the same first initial. No, we don't. My first initial is D for Doctor. <laughs> Alright. Let's go D, Y for you. And J, B for me. What's that stand for? Alright. Uh, Jimmy B. All right, James I've got, Brayshaw. I've got the wheel ready. Do you, do you trust me to spin this random? I, I, mu- I might need you to turn your fucking video on and hold it next to the screen. No, I trust you. <laughs> All right. It's only a fucking draft of albums from nineteen ninety four. I think we'll survive. The wheel is spinning. <laughs> Ding. And it's slowing. And it is a B. Put B. So I'm going to screenshot that so we can at least, you know. I'm going to lodge an official complaint and a protest, just like the Blazers did. <laughs> well, you can put it on the you can put it on the on the show artwork. That'll be funny. Um, all right, the draft. The draft. This is tripping balls, by the way, folks. That was a, a cold open, I guess. A, a cold ad been open. Welcome back to uh, Tripping Balls, a music podcast where we talk about the latest in new music. And this week, we're going to talk about music from 30 years ago. Um, it's January. It's quiet. Uh, and it's a good opportunity to do this. What are we doing this week, Beza? We're going to draft albums from 1994, which, uh, like, when I initially sort of through this to you, we were going to do 1993, which I actually think is a bit better year for me. Um, but there's some damn good albums and some albums that I'd sort of forgotten about in this year. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so I, what, what in 1993 were you particularly excited about picking? Oh, look, what was I listening? Was it uh, Get a Grip by Aerosmith? Was that really what you were looking forward to? Well, this is, this is a, not 1993 was a strange year for me because I feel like that was where I was really moving from the Bon Jovi's to the Fate No More's, yes. you know? Well, I think, <laughs> like, I think all the music was doing that, you know, the, I, like fucking um, Guns N' Roses, I think that was the year they released The Spaghetti Incident, which was a yes. horrific failure. Um, and that was the, the year of In Euro and Versus, and so it, it was kind of the second albums of all the grunge bands, um... That, that, that had that had spiked in in uh, ninety one, if you like. This would be interesting to have done in nineteen ninety one, actually. 
Would you would you like a would you like a snapshot of where Australian music was in 1994? Shall I read you the Aria chart album chart from 1994? No, no, no. We don't we, we don't want to hear about 94. Yeah, we just otherwise we'll give away the answer. No, no, we're talking we, about. we absolutely will not. I I guarantee you, I can read you the top ten Aria chart from 1994, and there's only one possible album that might get picked. Well, I also know what that albums Adam wanted to pick, so most of those probably are in there. But yeah, go for it. So. Music Box by Mariah Carey was number one. So Far So Good by Brian Adams was number two. Crossroads Greatest Hits by Bon Jovi was number three. The Priscilla soundtrack was number four. Very Best of the Eagles was number five. We really had a lot of imagination in Australia in 1994. The Lion King soundtrack was number six. Nirvana's Unplugged in New York was number seven. The Wild World (laughs) Sports number two was number eight. Album of 1994. That's fucking robbed that that Ken Sutcliffe's career died for that album. Abba Gold Greatest Hits was number nine. Forrest Gump soundtrack was number ten, and Merry Christmas Mariah Carey was number eleven. So out of that, you've got like four soundtracks and four greatest hits. <laughs> and and I know we were we were talking uh, in the group chat about you know do soundtracks count? And oh. I know none of those soundtracks were the soundtracks you were thinking about. No, so, no. so let, let's have a clarification on that. Shall we allow a, a, a one soundtrack or live album? Uh, you can, or as many as you like. I would, I would be inclined to, you know, let people do what they want. Sure, I think just not compilations. Otherwise, you know, the first, the first draft pick would be the Triple J Hottest One Hundred Volume Two. <laughs> yeah, no, no, yeah. that's fair enough. But live albums, particularly, um, particularly in a, a, a live album like MTV Unplugged in New York, because it had a life of its own. Because yeah, so- the songs off that were released by themselves, kind of thing. I, I don't have such a problem with that. And and yeah. soundtracks in those days were were a thing. Were customised and thing. curated as a thing. They weren't just here's a here's a fucking Spotify playlist of, of whatever shit we could find. So I also got a bum steer from this Aria album because a whole heap of the top albums of 1994. Were, were released in 1993, and the same is true of like 95. Like there's there's 94 yeah. albums that ended up being number ones in in 1995. Is the number one. Mm-hmm. Wow. Shall we begin? So the reason we're doing 94 is that it's 30 years ago, and um, it's also an interesting point in musical evolution for both Bezo and myself because we we're both like into like teens, high school. So we this is sort of the crossover the, the crossover period. Like yeah. I've actually got I've actually got sort of I don't know, more pop albums on my long list that um, I, I sort of feel were really influential to me at the time that I don't really listen to anymore because uh, my musical tastes have changed quite a bit. Yeah. But, you know, if I get to number 10 and you've, you've, you've taken a lot of my albums, then I might, I might pick them. I don't, I don't think um, that's particularly likely. Um, well, but but 94, the thing about 94, though, is that it's, it's the year that Triple J went national. So for yeah. me... That uh, that made a massive difference to my musical taste because no, I wasn't just listening to fucking the local commercial station. There was a huge world of stuff that was open to me, and also '94 is a year where, in, back in those days, you didn't. There were plenty of albums you didn't discover in 1994. Well, you discovered them in '96 or '98 or whatever. Yes, because yeah, there's a bit, a fair bit of that. Yeah. And, and particularly back in those days, there were things like the CD club that you, you, you've talked about previously. That, that I think we both had a crack at. That was the thing where you you get five CDs a month or five CDs every couple of months, whatever it was. Um, and there was generally you generally went back and raided 
the back catalogues of bands that you're interested in. But also things like when a new album would come out, after a couple of months, they would the, the record company would release the new album back to back with the album before kind of thing. Yeah. And it was a, it, you're, a 94 albums often popped up in that sort of thing. They don't release two of the ones that, I, that I'm going to include here. Um, I came across in, in that um, in that that way. The, the, the idea of discovery in the moment that we have now just it wasn't like possible wasn't in, in the country and, in 1994. It just simply was not possible. And I even had the same thing with books because I read a lot of books in high school. Well, like yeah. I, I would actually like to go back and read as many books as I did then. Bad time. I, 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 yeah, but it's it's also that I, I didn't have the distraction of Twitter and Facebook and, and all... Children. 19. Wife. Children. Not... Job. 19 stream, 19 streaming services. Um, Coaching a national team. <laughs> the, You've the got a bit thing. on that you didn't have in 1994. <laughs> I, think, I think that's fair enough. But the same thing, right? You could find an artist or an author, and then everything was new. It didn't matter that that album was three years old. It was like holy shit! Like well, thirty years no old. More, got, yeah, because I mean, um, when I was about this age, I would have been reading all of the old like a whole bunch of old spy novels who've been reading old Ian Fleming yeah. and old Len Dayton and old fucking you know name them Lacare yeah yeah Lacare yeah. oh, he was depressing cunt um, but it was the same <laughs> you've got it was much easier to discover old books because you had libraries and you had second hand bookstores with music, yes. it was much harder to kind of get hold of that no, sort of there stuff. Was, there was, it, it wasn't like you, you liked Fate No More, so you just dialed Spotify up and and, and or you, you just know, went to the second hand CD shop and, and got. I mean, in, in the city you could do that, but in well, the yeah, country see, you couldn't. That's right. I, I forgot about that. But where well, having we, said that, I rated a lot of second hands. You know, a lot of my CD collection was was enhanced by se- um, second hand CDs from. Like there used to be a good one on campus at, at UQ, I and mean, this is obviously years later, um, in the two thousands. Once, once, once I was in um, in in Brisbane, but you know a lot of my well, ninety six we we moved to Brisbane, and where we lived in Corinda, right next to the Coles, was a really good second hand CD shop. Yeah, um, <laughs> long gone now, but yeah, that, that was that was a key thing because you get into something and you'd go back and and sort of get look you know have a look through and see whether you could find something in the back catalog and you could much more cheaply um, than having to shell 20 to 30 bucks for a new cd which is what what it cost back then the price to entry was, was much larger now with mm-hmm. streaming libraries you can just dive into anything you want incredibly that's jealous true. of the kids of this <laughs> this year yeah, but, but it, right. it also felt like you had to earn it like you wouldn't you wouldn't dive in, it wouldn't give it your attention oh. unless you absolutely had to. If that makes sense. You would be, uh, it's been um, chasing status week here at Lamb's Island. The boys have, the boys have really enjoyed the, um, the, the stylings of the uh, UK DJs. They've been right into it. Liquor and so, cigarettes. Yes. But you didn't yeah. feel like uh-huh. No Bro was the thing to be playing them? Uh, Let's do drugs? E- no, no. Not so much? Well, the, the, I'm sure they'll get to that stage eventually. Yeah, fair enough. Um, All right. Correspondent Adam points as, as mentioned that he, he was he was punishing the, the younger members of his office with uh, with no bro, and they were like, "What the fuck's this?" For the first day, and then the second day, they're all singing, mm-hmm. "I don't fucking feel like it." Da, 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 da. So, um, it, so funny, that's kind of effectively. Yeah. There's going to be a weird little island of, of people who are aware of this <laughs> Montreal feminist fucking punk band. 
in the side of the Antipodes, if you like. 1994. I said that like a fucking Chuck D at the start of some remix. 1994! The motherfuckers do the... So, anyway. second last year of high school for me. That's because you're a Queenslander. I had... I had um, no, no, that was second last for me as well. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yep, yep. So, yeah, very, very interesting time. Like I said, that real... It's a real... And, and like, I'd imagine, you know, we can make this a bit of a, a January-February tradition. I would have thought, um, well, that's, that's the interesting thing is when I was doing this, I kept looking at the 95 albums and going, holy shit, because a lot of yeah. that, a lot of that Triple J stuff, those, that young generation of Triple J bands, um, their first big album was 95, so, so there's a, there's a big, um, there's kind of a big surge of that, but we don't want to get ahead of, ahead of ourselves, there is a, there is a, a future a much, to come a much weaker Australian music year this year than I sort of anticipated. I thought there would be stuff that I'd gotten into later that was released in this year and it's not. There's a few 93, there's a lot of 95. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I feel like the, I feel like Triple J going national had an impact on that too because it meant they weren't just covering, because sure. before that they were mostly Metro and even even more than that, mostly Sydney Metro because four, four Triple Z was in Brisbane and three Triple R was in Melbourne. So Triple J was mostly a Sydney thing until the early 90s and then they went national in in the mid 90s so a lot of these a lot of the bands that you think of as being the vanguard of the australian indie the triple j bands of the mid to late 90s a lot of them were brisbane bands or country new south wales bands or melbourne bands that wouldn't have necessarily been a big you know triple j wouldn't have been the first place they would have went to so i feel like there's an element of that too yeah yeah. All right. Shall we begin? So you get first pick in the 1994 albums draft, and what are you going for with your first pick? So, so this this is the the thing, right? That, uh, like I listen listen to a lot of like movie drafts and and sort of TV show drafts and stuff like that, and it's not necessarily what you want first. You also have to think what might actually be taken from you, right. and how like how much do you want this? You, you know, you might really like an album, but you're absolutely sure that the person that you're drafting against is not going to pick it. So you can pick that that motherfucker ninth, right? So basically um, what you're telling me is that you liking The Ringer is the result that you're going to win this draft because I can't stand those cuts. And all they do is no, draft no. things because they have no fucking creative ideas to fucking struggle to I've got a few other podcast networks that quite like the, like the draft format Actually, as well. The people, the people who do the best drafts are all fantasy everything. Ian Carmel and the guys there. That, that's fucking. Yeah. I think I think they were drafting um, punctuation marks last week. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to take Dummy by Portisette because I just I just can't not have this album. I think is is where I settled on. Um, it, it's funny because I've been Portishead, sold a dummy. Been sold a dummy. <laughs> Thanks, um, folks. Here all week. It's such a complete album, but yet I probably dial up, you know, the Roseland album more because... That's the odd thing, is that people keep always... Whenever you mention fucking Dummy, that but people go, but Roseland NYC, and like, how good an album do you think it is then, if you keep fucking saying, no, I want the live one? No, but I actually, I went back and listened to it today, and it's like, I, I've probably been doing myself a disservice by pulling up yeah. Roseland. This is just... Because because when we did the classic album, you did Roseland. You didn't do yeah. Dummy. Because the songs, it, like, even without the orchestra and the, and that live vibe, the songs are just so strong. Fuck, this is just, <laughs> just a wicked album. And, 
I think this and uh, Sneaker Pimps were my sort of introduction to trip hop. You know, my, you know, down the rabbit hole sort of things. Sneaker Pimps um, was ninety five, ninety six. Ninety six, because I bought that album yeah. new from the Sanity at Wong Towers. I think. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Things that do no, sure. no longer exist. Well, I think the Tuong Towers still exist, but uh, Tuong Village still exists. I'm, I'm pretty sure I bought that and the K&D Sessions by Pruder and Dorfmeister in one shopping kit, which is probably Holy one shit. of my greatest ever sanity purchases ever. Yeah. Um, You've gone deep into the K-hole, the K&D hole. Yeah, so um, I think that's a solid... Look, there's a couple of albums I'm sure that we're going to... You know, Barney over that we both want um, and I was really tempted to, to, to push this down because I don't think you would take it in your first five picks but it's just sort of like I really don't want to come out of this not having this album because I love it so that's what I went with well I for one am glad that you didn't pick anything that I really wanted in my first pick because I was starting to get worried um, because I have to have Ill Communication by the Beastie Boys is my first Damn pick. Damn it, I knew you were going to do this. Well, in that case, why did you pick fucking... Why did you literally do the wrong thing? The thing that you uh, said you were doing? Like, in what world was I going to pick Dummy by fucking Portishead in my top ten? No, that's true. That's true. But, like, you know, I know all the rules of drafting and I'm... And then I'm, you, st- you like, still picked with your dick. Still, still pick with my heart. Yeah. Uh, but anyway. I have to pick this because because uh, Ill Communication is my favourite Beastie Boys album. It's, it's the best one. Yeah, short shot, sabotage, root down. It's just fucking yeah. bangers and bangers and bangers and bangers. It's the best of those, uh, that string of LA albums that they did. Um, I just love this. I fucking love it. I love this. I love the vibe. I love, I love how comfortable they were in themselves and how they were walking back all the fucking shitty masculine bullshit of their of their teenage and, and you know early 20s stuff. It was, it was a really good... They gave a really good account of themselves in this album, as well as making some really cool hip hop. And um, I thought this this was the end of an evolution of the Beastie Boys because they took a couple of years off and then they reemerged in New York and they were a, a slightly different band, you know, a slightly different group of dudes who were in you know, different stages of their lives or married and all this sort of stuff. And they were much more of a New York band at that stage. But um, this is this is the high point of my favourite version of the Beastie Boys. Yeah, it sort of feels like. They hadn't quite got into the, like, it's not, they never really got into electronic music, but, you know, they, they discovered beats a little bit more, and there's a just a little bit of hint of that, but it's yep. still like a real guitar-driven album. But Well, well the, the, some of the best songs are, but they still have, they've, they've got some really interesting elements, because they've got the elements that they got from the Dust Brothers from their 89 album, but they've also got stuff that they've learned, that, they, that they've picked up from, from Mario Caldado, and it's... It's just a really interesting point of the fusion of, of, of their creativity. And where they ended up in with Hello Nasty and Five Burrows and that sort of stuff, it's not that it's less interesting. It's just that it, it went off in a direction that is maybe less, well, I guess less interesting to me because I really liked where they were at that particular time in their journey in terms yeah. of the, the blend of, of influences and also the blend of um, just, you know, beats and guitars and samples and, and raps and just the stuff they were rapping about as well. It was just really cool. So that, that's that's the, the album that I knew I needed to tie down pretty much for all the same reasons that you were talking about. I'm like, I can't let that album get away from me. So uh, Ill Communication by the Beastie Boys. Because you can't, you won't, and you don't stop. In some kind of order. John B. Gonna rock the sure shot. What's your second pick? 
All right. Yeah, okay. Well, I'm going to have to... <laughs> I might might have to be a little bit more ruthless here. I'm going to take... Um, I'm going to take music for, for the Jilted Generation by the Prodigy. Um, like, <laughs> I had this old blue Telstar... Um, and part of that's a car, folks, not a not a satellite from the sixties. Uh, part of the reason I bought this car, which was a bad decision in the end, because it ended up expiring on the road to a uh, to a hunters and collectors gig, you know, steam coming out of its out of its engine. But so, it, so the high pitched uh, pissing noise. So it sounded like the production on many hunters and collectors <laughs> albums of the eighties. Um, but it had a kick-ass subwoofer in the boot. <laughs> no, 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 no. You've got to say it properly. You've got to say it like, like somebody who grew up in the, in the 90s. Say it like a character from Fat Pizza. <laughs> I can't do it. Subwoofer! Much oven fully fucking optimised your subwoofer! You know, poison or voodoo people or break and enter, like, you know, these guys just, this was, you know, open the windows, let the whole street know that you're coming sort of songs. Um, like, what, when Prodigy made that comeback album and, and we talked about how, like, it was not quite as venomous um, as their early stuff, but it had the same attitude. Was it, a, was it a comeback album or was it just that we hadn't been paying attention until we started doing a podcast? I think it was a comeback album in, in that they'd had a lot of time between their last... Yeah, of, I think their previous had been like yeah. 2011 or something and then it was yeah. 2015 was the day of... So, so not, not so much a comeback like they'd broken up, it was just a, a large period of time and to come back after a large period of time, at that stage, everything that we'd had... That, had sort of fit that criteria was absolute ass, so we were convinced that you could not come back after a large period of time and record an album that good. But this was this was like the Ur Prodigy, right? This was this is when it was all you know that really just letting it rip, um, and you could just feel every beat, you could feel every lyric, and oh man, just, yeah. just this this album goes hard. Yeah, well, they were. They were. Uh, we've said it before. I think it might have been when we did No Tourists or when, when we did The Days My Enemy. They were a punk, a, me- a punk metal band masquerading as, as a dance act because yeah. they had the energy of a. Uh, they've ripped and tore into stuff in a way yep. that it, you don't really see. I mean, uh, some big beat dance acts have, been, have you know alluded to that, but they did not leave you in any fucking doubt about about their intention. I mean. I literally called the album the music for the jilted generation. Yeah. And it was almost like it was a reaction to early rave, which was a bit too much peace and love and fucking easy good, easy good, it's ebon easy good. Yeah. Which this, I this, loved. I love that kind of shit. Although, I, you know, the music more so than the, the chemicals. This was definitely not, definitely not drop some pills and, and rub up against you, <laughs> each other music. That's for sure. No, it, it was it was mosh pit dance music, which yeah. is, if they didn't invent, they certainly were at the... There oh, weren't too was, many boiler the, rooms that would turn into a mosh. And yeah, the, the, the prodigy were one of them. The, this was the best exponent of it, absolutely. Like, the, the Chemical Brothers were high energy, but they were not the same energy as this, that's for sure. No, no, no. I mean, particularly not in, in roughly this era, because 95 is like Exit Planet Dust, and it's uh, it's not this. Yeah. All right, what are you going to go with your number two pick? I'm going to take it number two. Um, Purple by the Stone Temple Damn Science. it! God damn it! If I'd taken purple, would have you taken Prodigy? 
Probably not. Oh, because damn it. the Prodigy, because music for the Jilda Generation is a little bit pre-peak for my interest in them. Damn. I kind of got in at the singles of Fat of the Land, you know, Breathe yeah. and, and that that kind of fire starter, twisted fire starter. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't that wasn't really. Jilted Generation was like, I mean, obviously I knew Voodoo people because it was a Triple J favourite, but it was only sort of the Triple... It was only kind of the singles, if you want to call it, the Triple J stuff, the singles. So <laughs> I probably wasn't going to pick the, uh, pick Jilted Generation. To be perfectly honest, Jilted Generation is on my reserve list in case other stuff gets Damn. sniped. So it Fuck. wasn't in my top ten. Uh, I... I'm trying to be true to what I really want, what I would have liked in period as much as as possible here. Yeah, because yeah. I don't want to kind of put a like put a whole fucking. I, I'm now much smarter and I have a much more interesting taste in music. I want to kind of be honest. Oh no, I, 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 I've completely gone that way, but and that, and that sort of fucked me up because I was like, you've got so much admiration for the modern prodigy that you would rate this one really high. And there was four albums that I really we did it as a classic, didn't we? I'm sure we did it as a classic. And it was a fucking no, we did fat. Did we do fat as a land? Or, or I think we did fat as a land. Yeah. Then we did fat, but we obviously went back and listened to Jilted. And it's like these guys have never have, have been. They're like the ACDC of, of fucking of dance music. They've made the same fucking banger of an album 47 times, yeah. and they can't stop doing it. But yeah. yeah. Stone Temple Pilots, Purple. Okay. Stone Temple Pilots was the very first classic album act that we did on the podcast. Did you pick it or did I? You picked it. Yeah, I was going to say. I thought you picked... I thought you picked the other one. Mm Mm-mm. Not No, this is the best one. This is the best one. I think think that was kind of the thing is that we we discovered as we did the podcast that actually Purple was the best album, but... And I would say that I've, I've deliberately put this one higher because I knew there was a sniping risk because I knew you had an interest in the Stone Temple Pilots. This is my favourite Stone Temple Pilots album, as we argued out on the very first episode of classic album episode of, of whatever this podcast is called, Tripping Balls, Balls After Dark. Um, even you just start with Meat Plow, the first track off the rack, and it just fucking hits you. In a, in just a big, chunky fucking churning riff. Um, Vaseline and fucking there's just so many bangers on the Silver Gun Superman um, I, I played the ass out of this album this was an yeah. album where I this is one of those albums where I got I got the twin pack the um, the first album the number which is just escaping me for the moment the 92 one the one with sex type thing and plush and that uh, it was also in a one word title uh, but it wasn't as good as, as purple which um, which was my favourite of, of all this sort of stuff so Core, core is, is the first is one. It's the nice right. And Core it, is a little bit more medley and a little bit more, you know, it, it doesn't feel like subsequent Stone Temple Pilots. It feels like they're, they are still still trying to find their feet a little bit. Uh, whereas Purple, Purple really does feel like, like they know who they are. This is, this and another album, the two albums I probably played the most in period. Um, I played the shit out of this. Um, yeah. So and th- this is really a, a, a tribute to this is this is a, a me shaking hands with me from the past, basically. <laughs> I, I was playing, I was listening to some albums yesterday, playing playing this on the on the a school run, and um, he like goes, "This is a really chunky guitar album." Yeah, <laughs> and that's it's just a, a perfect combination of voice, bass, drums, guitar, right? Those yeah. those sort of basic principles, but. It's just a beautiful mix. Yeah, and and Wyland had figured out his figured out his voice because his voice he was trying something on core that he didn't. He wasn't trying to be as much of a metal vocalist 
on purple. He was happy to kind of relax into his actual tenor a little bit better, and I think that kind of worked. And they got a lot of shit in, in period for being, you know, not being from Seattle, essentially. But I enjoyed this shit, so so they're wrong. Mm. All right. I think that's where our crossover is going to end, to be honest. I don't think there's there's one other one I think would be on both our long list, but I'm not I'm not as phased to lose it. I don't uh, know, because we have... I did have a look at the number of albums from 1994 that we've done as classic albums, and it's mm. not. It's not It's not fewer than 10. Oh, really? So, um, so wonder, there is... I wonder whether the stuff that I've done as a classic that I now... Because, because my music tastes have... <laughs> you know, disavow. Well, no, like, you know, we did that, that, that pre-podcast back and forth thing on the blogs. And, and I'll go back and read that occasionally. I don't know if you've read that recently. Um, oh, was that our, our, our top our top 50 albums of, the, of, of all time? Kind yeah, of? and we sort of did 10 at a time. and the, sort of did, There like, were rules about that, though. I think you did 10 at a time, and I, kind of, I think I dropped mine in two lumps. But there were rules about that, like you couldn't have the same act doing more than one album. In which case, you know, I would have had 10 ACDC albums at the time. Yeah. Um, but, but I feel like my music taste is, is a lot more like th- there's no way I would have picked a Beastie Boys album at the top of a 1994 no, album draft I, uh, in, in 20 so th- that basically if you want to know how's, how's Doc's fucking music taste changed across the course of the podcast it's there you are well we've, we've both sort of we've, we've crossed over right like I'm well, like, yeah. I, I, what I'm was like, your number one album that we announced last week yeah and fucking Montreal I, feminist I, punk band which is not band. part of your areas no like I didn't like punk in period at all the kind of band that would have played the alley back in the day if they were on an Australian oh, tour because that's that about as been, big as they would have been that would have been fucking <laughs> awesome if they played the alley that would have picked us um not have picked up yeah all right, I'm going to put my uh, my soundtrack slash compilation album in here. I'm going to take The Crow. Yes. So that's the one I thought would be the... When you were asking about soundtrack albums, I thought, I reckon it's The Crow. Because that Crow soundtrack is a, a bit of a fucking monster, isn't it? Well, it's definitely the album that I played the most in 94, 95. Um, that, that and Stone Top of Violence, like... Yeah. Out of all the, all the stuff that we've got here, I'm sort of looking because like Dummy, I came to. I didn't come to Dummy. In, D- Dummy was definitely a '96 album. Like I got yeah. into to Mochiba. Dummy was a was a first year reuni. Um, I need something was, to put on while I'm trying to pick up. Yeah, it, no, 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 absolutely. It was a it was a girls album. It was an album that I played or listened to music when I was interested in... Desperately (laughs) trying to seem more interesting to women, yes! Um, And folks can probably tell by the pics in my my draft is that I had no hope of that in 1994 so I wasn't too bothered about that. But, 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 like, we we talked about this endlessly, but the, the soundtrack was... It was just a different beast back then. Like it was an original album. That's why. That's why you can count it in this because it was an original piece of music. It just happened to have other people's songs. Some of them yeah. had been, had often been. Yeah, it was curated. That's what it was. Commissioned for the album, like the Cure song on this, which is one of the songs that everyone also always mentions from this yeah. album. Burnt. That was recorded for this album. And they don't do a lot of fucking that kind of stuff. And another thing that we talk about a lot on this podcast is track ones, right? You know, you, you can live and die on an album on a track one. You can have that sort of milk toast track one, and then the rest of the album. Well, no, I think milk toast is like track seven or eight, isn't it? <laughs> it is actually. It's album. <laughs> but you, you know, 
Shouts to all our helmet fans. You you nailed that first track, and it just excites you for the rest of the the album, and uh, or for the movie. Yeah, and this was such a such a perfect combination of like movie. Uh, yeah, it's an okay movie. It's not the greatest movie in the world. Like, it's a little. No, bit... I feel. I feel like its its cult status is kind of elevated by the fact that you know, Brandon Lee made it, made his end in the in the production of. You know, if it wasn't for that, if Brandon Lee had survived the production of the movie, I don't feel like it would have been. Well, it, all the soundtrack would have had the same kind of status because all of the dark gothicness of the fucking soundtrack, yeah. all the metaliness. It wouldn't have quite seemed as foreboding and, and, and all that it, kind of shit. It does have a little bit of that Alan Rickman, Prince of Thieves, bad guy hamming it up. You know, it's a little bit, you know, supernatural John Wick. But there's a lot of elements going on here, but the soundtrack fitted the movie so well. And if you're an impressionable, you know, 16, 17-year-old boy, it's sort of, it's pretty, pretty powerful. Um, yeah. and, and not just boy, I think this was, this was, a uh, you know, I'm sure there's a whole bunch of goth girls that were influenced by this, by this album, by this, uh, um, by this movie. And you know, goth girls were fucking hot. And back then, goth yeah. girls were the thing. So, and, and it's so a, no wonder you pretended to like this. It's song. a really interesting blend of sort of hard metal, emo, what, like it, Before emo was a thing. I mean, it was, it was yeah. pre-emo being a genre. It was just, you know, it, it would just kind of evolve that way. Hmm. Yes. So anyway, that's my third pick. Is that right? That is your third pick, yes. Yeah, okay. So, so you've gone Trip Hop, Big Beat House, and Soundtrack of Full of Metal. Mm-hmm. So uh, you're having a good time. Um, I'm going to pick another Seattle grunge band. Well, an actual Seattle grunge band. I'm going to pick Super Unknown by Soundgarden. Because... Rorting my forward. Oh, How did you not think this was going to be in my fucking yeah, in my actually, list? I put this album up as a classic for fuck's sake. I I thought you would go something else actually. So no, I, I need to I need to pay respect to Super Unknown because this was this was an album that I played the ring piece out of through the middle nineties. Uh, this is probably my favourite Seattle grunge album. Um, I just fucking I, I just there was so much I mean it's a long album there's a lot of stuff on here and there's some stuff that you probably you know a good editor might have, might have snipped out but this was the era you know they, they you did an album that was an hour plus because you had all this area on the CD to fill you might as well fill it this is the, the Metallica model where they're still doing 78 minute fucking albums because they figure they have to in order to give people value but um, there's light and shade on this but there's also massive heft there's you know my wave and there's fucking um, Spoon Man, there's Fell on Black Days, there's all kinds of amazing shit on this album. I'm, I'm, it's, it's when we went back and did our Soundgarden classics, I got a a new appreciation for the album that came just before Super Unknown, Bad Motorfinger, but this is still my favourite Soundgarden album, and therefore is my probably my favourite Seattle grunge album, with the possible exception of Versus, and never mind. <laughs> I've okay. kind of fucked that up, haven't I? Uh, it's my no. favourite one apart from all the others. I, I think this is the last album that we're going to cross over on. I think from here on in, we can pick whatever you like. Um, this, yeah, this you is, say that. This, this is another dude with an amazing voice backed by an amazing man. Just the the guy has some pipes, right? It, like, I, I, I don't know. You, you put this on on headphones every now and again. 
like like good headphones and it's just or, or like a really really good speaker system with you know good bottom end and it's just like you you just you're just mashing the plus button to, to turn it up as yeah. loud as you possibly can it's just one of those um um I don't know what's, what else to say about it. He um, was he was one of the great fucking vocalists. He really was. He just could he could peel the fucking tone off the walls, and that was that was what what made him what separated him from some the, the other Seattle grunge acts was just fuck, you know. And that's why he went on to have careers with with other acts subsequently and in his own solo. I think he yeah, a fucking Bond theme. Eddie Vedder would could never. It's funny because his his career after this is quite complicated. Like it's not. Well, he's quite complicated, you know. Yeah. You know, which, which, not to emphasise how he met his end, but, you know, he met his end because it got a bit too fucking complicated for him. All right. What am I going to do next? Lose. That's what you gave it. (laughs) I don't know how this is a competition, but. (laughs) Um, Look, I'm going to pick a couple of albums. In the next no, you're going to pick one album. Yeah, you get the, one at a time. My, my this next, is how this works. My next couple of picks are going to be albums that I listened, that, that I sort of loved in period. So I'm going to go Nine Inch Nails, The Downward Spiral. Yeah, that, that is on my, that is on my possibly getting Bezoed list. Um, I'm interested to see how it how it looks to compare to your actual list. It's not an album. I, I do listen to this every now and again. It's not an album. It's got a lot of stuff that's sort of hard to listen to, I guess. It, it is very industrial. It's not like The Crow. Like The Crow, I can I can go back and listen to start to finish. There's a bit of skipping in this album, but what I think this album did was sort of open my mind up to, I don't know whether it's a darkness or a, like, a, like a place that you could take music beyond melody. Does that make sense? Yeah. And, and you could take music to a place that wasn't just pop and melody, but was still enjoyable. Yeah, I, I get that because because let's let's remember the nineties was, you know, a lot of what music was about was what's in the charts, and that was mm. always pop generally. Even if it was rock, even if it was dance, it was still pop. And yeah, the, Trent the, Reznor doesn't write pop songs. No, the, the nineties were coming out of a very like everything was pop, you know. Yeah, like even e- even the jangly fucking new wave gothy shit was still pop. Yeah, and this was just definitely not. This was something else. No, and, this was like a filing cabinet being thrown down a flight of stairs. And until I got to Brisbane and and found hip hop, it was sort of it was the first thing that I had that was just so far outside the mainstream. Because like by the time you know I really got into grunge, grunge was pretty mainstream. I think, like, I didn't get into grunge. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, grunge dropped in in '91 when we were fucking yeah. 13 or whatever. Yeah, and I, I 13, was still 14. in my hair metal phase at that stage. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, well, I, I didn't want grunge to happen. I was quite happy with like Van Halen and yeah, Warrant, well, Poison, and yes, yeah, even Guns N' Roses. I don't like, need nothing but a good time. Yeah. So yeah, this this was like you know getting slapped in the face with a wet fish, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but again, I, I don't want to bang on about, tri- about Triple J, but this was the yeah. Triple J effect. It was like, look at all this shit that's available to you that isn't just whatever's in the charts. It isn't yeah. fucking Melody MC doing dumb to dumb. Yeah. Um, it's this, fucking, this was, look at all this stuff. <laughs> this was never getting paid on for Triple C, which was the Gladstone radio, local radio no. station. So 
But um, I'm, I'm sure Four Triple Z were playing the arsehole out of it. I clearly remember fucking hearing. Um, it was the it was might have been '95, I think, when um, when the French restarted nuclear testing in the Pacific, and on Triple J, everyone kept phoning up, and they had like a, a like the request fest that day was just phone up and and, and uh, request a song for the French for the French government for the French president, and everyone kept phoning up and and requesting head like a hole, you know, about you know. I'd rather die than give you control, kind of. It was like, okay, fair enough. I understand what's going on here. Not quite as good as the Martin Malloy um, French nuclear testing sketch, but uh, still quite a moment. Uh, all right, what do you got next? Well, I'm sort of torn between going with what I liked in period and what I think needs to be recorded of posterity in terms of music that was important in 1994, which is uh, a real problem I have. But I'm going to go for... Uh, Dookie by Green Day. Yeah. Because this is the point at which the 90s punk revival really, really takes off. Um, and as you look at the fucking, the track listing of Dookie, it is a greatest hits. You, if they just, if Green Day just toured playing Dookie, and I'm pretty sure they probably have at some point, you'd be, you'd pay your money and you'd be perfectly fucking happy. You know, when I come around and fucking, ever, um, not ever longer, fucking Longview and, you know, all the all the tracks, all the fucking the bangers they had on that fucking thing. Um, it is. It wasn't an album I was I was I actually bought, had myself in that era, but everybody else that I knew had that album, so it, it wasn't like I could avoid it in any way. Um, but they they were just so good at, at at doing what they do, and the '90s punk thing was a genuine thing. Nobody punk hadn't really been a thing since the '70s at that stage, and this was a different kind of punk. This was sort of skate punk. This was. You know, rat bag, dyed hair, being a fuckwit, Southern California style punk. It's it's still significant now. Green Day literally released an album last week, so Dookie has a lot to be lot to be responsible for. But yeah, that, I, that's my number four. I think I was hoping that you would pick some of the albums like this that I just didn't really glom onto and never have. Um, a little higher, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't like. I know all these songs, and like if you play those songs, I quite like them. But I just never had. It's a little bit like counting. To be honest, I've heard them being played by covers bands more than anything else, yeah. and that's kind of the thing. They are part of the furniture of people who grew up in our era. Like you've heard these songs, yeah, so and it's, fucking it's, often, and that's kind of yeah. why this, these guys are at four. It's just like, how do you tell the story of 1994 without Dookie by Green Day? There's an album that I wanted. It's like the most popular album that I absolutely detest from this year. <laughs> Which... We might, well, I'm sure we'll have a time to talk, talk about albums that miss, that miss the chart but need to be need to be mentioned kind of thing uh, a little bit later on. Oh, th- this is actually an album that, that was very high in the charts that I just absolutely can't fucking stand. But, um, yeah, this, this was one that I just... I don't know. Green Day was sort of something that happened to other people, I guess. Um... <laughs> That's a really interesting way of framing it. I understand that, yeah. I totally like understand it, what you mean by that. But, but it was always, like, I listened to this album a lot, right? Because it was on at parties. Just not willingly. It was a bit no, like no, fucking... No, um, but no, no, because that, that, that this album that I'm, I'm, I'm going to talk about later, when it came hmm. on, I was like, oh, can I Oh, you, don't, I mean, you don't mean Dookie? Okay. No, no. I think but, I know the album you are, you are talking about, because I, but, I did notice this, it was also a 94 album release. Along and I would quite happily sing along to the songs and stuff. But it was not something that I would go and... Like, even when I was flicking through the second-hand CD source, if I saw Dookie, I would just go, oh, yeah, there's Dookie, and not buy it for myself. 
I was quite happy to listen to it at Because you didn't need to, because you had Dookie at home. No matter where your home was, somebody had Dookie. If you needed Dookie, Dookie would be on hand. It was a little Mm. bit like having a a Spotify subscription in 1996, because somebody had Dookie somewhere in the world. Do I need to hear when I come around at any stage? That song about wanking. I don't have to go too far to find it. My flatmate's CD wallet will have that somewhere. It'll be in that weird thing, the fucking under the sunrest of the car. There'll be a CD of it somewhere in there. All right, so am I up? 1994, motherfuckers. Am I up to number four number five? You're up to, you're up to number five. Number five. I have a terrible thing to admit, though. I have run out of beer. Can yeah, I have thirty okay. seconds to go and refill? Yeah, let's let's refill. Let's let's um yeah. let's have a, a production break. Let's have a production break. Music, 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 and we're back. All right, where are we? Number five. Number five. You are picking number five on your album's draft of nineteen ninety four. That's like a radio reset, folks. I'm going to go with um, no protection or protection, no protection by Massive Attack. No protection. No protection. No is protection that- was what you were using. <laughs> no, no, I was always a good little boy. Um, Karma Coma was so the jukebox at the alley, which is the, the the bar that I ran, the bar that I frequented before I ran. Instead of going to a lot of lectures, if I'm brutally honest. Um, so this would have been ninety when you were running the alley. Ninety seven. You running the alley as early as ninety six. Holy shit! I thought it was no, 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 no. Sorry, I was a patron, and I was a patron in ninety seven. I think I was a staff member in ninety eight, ninety nine, and two thousand. I was running it. Yeah, that's what, that's what I was thinking because that was about the era yeah. when you were, you know, running hip hop shows and shit. Yeah, yeah, but 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 Karma Coma, you know, this sort of striptease by uh, the, it's unsure whether it was a man or a woman, like this androgynous sort of like uh, what was the um, androgyny was fucking big in that era. Yeah, what was the Marilyn Manson and everything? Yeah, so it, it had this really interesting film clip. Um, at least for for a young person of a certain age back then, but like you know, protection by with, with you know that guest vocalist with the trip hop act thing was sort of where I I started to get into understanding you know Chemical Brothers using guest vocalists, massive attack music. Like this was a a way to tweak your music. You know, it was sort of twisting the dials, but in a different way. Get, get, get a different vocalist in to give a, 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 a an album or, a, pardon me, a track, a different feel. Um, so this wouldn't have been an period. I definitely didn't listen to this album in 94. This would have been a 96 no. thing. This would have been, Where you the know, fuck would you have discovered protection in 1994 apart from, you know, Triple J playing fucking literally the title track or something? Yeah, so go, going back to that CD club, that CD club thing was very, very good at, like, you 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 have discovered Nirvana. If you like Nirvana, here are some other acts you might like. Mm. You know, because I definitely got into. Here are some other bands that have released albums in the last two to five years because yeah. that's what it was good at. Because it seemed like the the brand new stuff was was full price, but yeah. the the stuff that you could get hold of was the the previous album and the album previous to that for a lot of these acts. So that was kind of how my nineteen ninety four album collection got filled was in like 1996, 1997 picking up 1994 albums from CD clubs and from secondhand stores and, and 
and all these other ways that we discovered music back then. Yeah, so my 1994 albums were like Stone Temple Pilots, Alice in Chains, uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Faith No More. Uh, they were albums album, that were released in 1992 and 1993, you know, 1991 yeah. even. Like, like th- this was stuff that, you know, sort of I got into, and there's another album on that list, yeah. but the, 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 the trip hop thing came later, but. Yeah. And by and large, I didn't actually buy albums in 1994 because I'd mostly listened to Triple J. And it's funny because I don't know whether I'd listen to this album as an album uh, as studiously as I had this week. It's a cracking album. It's really fucking good as an album. It is. But what I remember of of the week that we did Massive Attack as a classic is that we both came out thinking Blue Lines was better. Or am yes, I misremembering absolutely. that? Yeah, no, no, yeah. no, 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 no. Blue, blue lines, blue lines is the classic. But this is a this is a real and good mezzanine album. might have been the second best. So protection yeah. kind of gets slotted into the into the bronze. But it sort of has against, against nineteen ninety four albums oh, in the conversation. This, this would have blown my mind in nineteen ninety four. Like you know, I just, I I cannot imagine what. Oh, and this is the, the like. It blows my mind daily the access to music that my kids have, right? Yeah. You know, the fact that... But they don't have that discovery thing that we had. Like, it was a big thing to discover stuff. It was like being in a fucking uh, 1900s explorer, you know, hacking your way to the top of a ridge and then discovering this new land. Now, you've got satellite photos of everything, so you never look at anything. I I guess so, except that sometimes... Like, I will be so in on an album that I'll go, like, we'll get in for a 20-minute car trip. And rather, like, our normal sort of musical car journey is everyone gets to pick a song, right? Pick pick a song. You pick a song, I pick a song. And it's whatever. So they'll, they'll discover stuff through the podcast because, like, I'll be into, no bros about an example, but, like, I'll be listening Not to really. an album that, I'll be listening to an album that week and I'll go, oh, listen to this cool song from this album that I've listened to this week. And then they discover that they'll go into that music themselves through that single. But this week I was like, hey, we got we got a 20-minute car drive. Hey, boys, listen to this album. And I put on that Chasing Status album. And it was really interesting because um, the three different boys glommed onto a different song. Like, not the song that I sort of I thought would be the big banger, you know, the big drops and the big... You know that that deep voice. I thought that would be the single. Well, um, yeah, one of them went that way, and one of them went the, like the really fucking industrial, like no vocal sort of dance track. And I was just like, he's he's played that like four times. This, you know, on the on the um on the headphones this week. And I was just like, that's that's really interesting. But the exposure that they get compared to what we had, and, and I guess it's a little bit like going from. You know, listening to the Wiggles to 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 um, listening to podcast music is the the jump between four triple C and triple J. Like that that's yeah. such a big jump, such a big jump in terms of um, breadth of what we're listening to, but also timeline. Like you're almost jumping a decade, right? Because tri- uh, four triple C in Gladstone was only playing stuff that was so well established. You know, th- so it were. was more of a classic hit station. Well, yeah, it, that's it, right. We had, um, we had, weirdly enough, it was two. I think it was two triple Z. No relation to four triple Z. 
uh, and they they were a commercial station that did have ideas above the station of just being a commercial network. So they would play chart stuff and classic stuff, but they would also they also had people on who would play what I now understand, like well, I understood pretty quickly afterwards to be kind of a Triple J light feat or local stuff or whatever else. So. It, it was actually not that bad a thing to, to grow up with, but um, pretty soon afterwards, uh, there was Triple J, and that was mm. that. All right, what have you got? I should say, we are now... Um, the possibly getting B-Zone list is, is getting picked clean at the moment. I yeah. had, uh, basically, I just put all the, all the ones that you'd picked as classic albums I put in there. Um, my number five, I'm going to go... Because this has been a massive sausage fest so far. A massive sausage fest... Say that 40 times fast after you've had three pints. I'm going to go for American Thighs by Veruca Salt, their debut album. Yeah, I thought you might. I and thought you might while have this one. I, while I, I think I prefer the Bob Rock enormousness of Eight Arms to Hold You, this was a hell of an opening statement. And see, there is a banger. And there's plenty of other bangers on this as well. Um, and it, it made a huge impression upon me uh, in period. Um and I was I was incredibly delighted to see see them make the top ten of the hottest one hundred. I think it, I think it managed to do that. I still remember listening to that hottest one hundred. Um, I don't know if it was that one or the one afterwards. Might have been the one afterwards. Listening to it when I was staying over at Adams at, at, at one point. But uh, it was um, yeah, Veruca Salt, American Thighs, just bangers, good times. Classic uh, hits. Definitely didn't Words. listen to this album in period, so... No, oh, nor I. I didn't buy it, because... Yeah. But, um, but, yeah, I got it subsequently. Um, and while I was waiting for Eight Arms to come out, because I was really looking forward to that. Hmm. All right, I think I'm going to... I'll stick to the uh, stuff that I listened to close to period. I don't know whether I listened to this in... This was definitely a CD club. I think I got two or three of their albums at the same time, but I'm going to go Stoned and Dethroned by The Jesus and Mary Chain. Of course you fucking are. Another one on the possibly getting B-Zone list. Um, an interesting album because The Jesus and Mary Chain were like, sort of like uh, nine-inch They were a bunch of alcos from Scotland who started fights for no reason in, in their band. This is not what they used to do or not what they used to sound like at all. No, no. This, this, it was really weird when I, I, I think I bought this album first, loved it, went back and bought all their back catalogue and loved that as and well. And discovered, but, no, no, this is not what they do. <laughs> this is a very, very different thing. Um, I, I think you'll appreciate the fact that I, I've written them down as stoned and dethroned by Jesus and the Mary Chain. Uh, I, I never get this right. Uh, it's just, did I get it wrong or did you get it wrong? I got it wrong on purpose as a piss take, but unfortunately <laughs> I didn't pick that up. I, I'm, I'm, just, I'm never convinced. Every time I say it, I'm like, I'm, I'm convinced I got that wrong. Um, this is like uh, like a, a Tarantino sort of psycho, you know, the, 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 the psycho couple from the start of Pulp Fiction or... You know, this Speaking is a very soundtracks. yeah, it's a very Tarantino-esque sort of vibe to this to this album. Um, you know, this dueling male and female vocal. Uh, they're obviously fucked up the whole time they wrote it. Yeah, it's it's sort of it's sort of melody crossed with Nine Inch Nails. It's 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 a very weird vibe. This album, very singular. I've never really found anything 
like it before or since. Before or since, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's just one of those weird sort of little albums that just lives out on its own. Uh, like even the even the, even the band that made it never made an album like this before or since. So no, uh, I, I I be and I'm never really ready. I, I sort of I remember when we did we do this as a classic. I can't remember. I think we kind of revisited it when Jesus and uh, the Jesus and Mary Shane did a subsequent album yeah. sometime in the last yeah. seven or eight years. Yeah. So I, I remember looking for like an uh, uh, like a, an oral history of how this album, and I guess they were never big enough to warrant it. But it's like I'm really no, fascinated. They, they were an enormous band. I think the problem was that nobody was everyone was too stoned to remember. So the, the consequences yeah. would be. I would just like to know the backstory of why this album exists because it's so strange. But it is always listed as a great album of 1994, even though yeah. it is nothing like what they've done in the past. So, yeah, uh, it is interesting though that if you if you go and look, if you randomly Google top albums of 1994, you will find multiple stories from multiple media outlets about what you know, here is our you know Pitchfork and the Guardian, wherever else. And you know it's 30 years. Here are our top you know the top 30 albums of 1994. Yeah, and they're all pretty much the same group of albums. If you did that about 2024, you'll have like three or four albums that cross over between all the different music providers. It is really interesting how how much massive fragmentation is captured just by thinking about it that way. All right, what do you got next? I will go a bit more local. I will go for a band that, you know, I didn't have this album in, in period, but I certainly fucking dug the shit out of the singles that were played on, on local radio and, and wherever I was um, in Australia, and that is Traction by Supergroove. Oh. I absolutely fucking loved the shit out of yeah. these guys. And then when I went back and listened to their album, I'm like, this is really cool, and it's deeper than I would have thought. The weird thing is that I do remember the vibe around these guys, the, the buzz around them. It was almost like a, a New Zealand silver chair because they, he was this essentially a high school band because they basically they'd formed for the high school rock of Stedford or whatever the New Zealand equivalent is. It's like Smoke Free Rock Quest, I think it was called. Um, and they just got massively successful and then they'd recorded this album and then they actually just imploded and fired each other and, and you know, it, it all went pear-shaped shortly afterwards. But... It was that same kind of thing. It was like a New Zealand scale version of the Silverchair hype, which was the amount. If you remember the ridiculous amount of hype for Silverchair in 1994, 1995, it was um, it was astonishing, and it's not surprising that it absolutely melted all their brains. And Daniel jo- Daniel Johns is the dirty easy today because uh, of all that shit he went through. Yeah, I, I, that that was not one. I, I quite liked that album in period, and it was not one that sort of turned up on my trolling through the lists. Actually, it's really interesting. There's an album I thought you would have picked by now, and I guess you can pick it last because you know I'm not going to pick it. Um, yeah, okay, that, that's a good one. Are you sure you're not going to pick it? I mean, you could pick it if you wanted. I, I could pick it, but I don't think I'm going to... You can put it on your list. I mean, you can put it on your list. I mean, if you want that against your name for the rest of time, I mean, that's up to you. I, I, I don't know if you'd want to do that, but uh, let's just let's just see how, how fucking desperate you are not to have that, that, that against your name. <laughs> um, Traction by Supergroove. Look, I, I, was, I was quite an emotional kid. Uh, back in back in the day, and th- this is an album that really got me in the feels. And 
I actually think it's still quite a well put together album. Um, even though it is quite poppy, so I'm going to go the Cranberries. No need to argue. I don't think that's particularly, you know, feelsy because that was one of the biggest albums of 1994. Let's face it. Yeah. It was, like, do, do you still think it's a good album? Like, oh, it's not. On, it's not on my list, but. But it's um, a little bit dated. But I, I, I still, I still have a real affection for it. I, I, I sort of. But it, but it has lingered. Yes. Like I look at some of the other albums that I really, sorry, folks, really liked back then. That I just don't listen. Like, like Monster by REM. Like I love that album in 1994, 95, 96. I don't think I've listened to that post 2000 at all. In fact, I had no. No inclination to go back and listen to that album. Oh, like I saw it, I went, "Oh, what's up? I loved that album back then." Yeah, not really. Just listening to it now. Um, I didn't like REM when they were normal little and when they were being weird. So, but I went back and listened to the Cranberries, and I'm like, "Oh, this is, this is a pretty good album. I quite like this." Um, Shasta Dolores. Yeah. All right, P. All right. What What have you got that is next? Right, let's go for... Uh, I'm going to go for Weezer's self-titled debut album, Weezer, the blue album. This is the one with Buddy Holly, Say yeah. It Ain't So, and the Sweater Song. And with that number of bangers, it doesn't really need to do much more than justify itself. But this was this was a hell of a way to introduce yourself. And it's a pity they're not this band anymore. Yeah, I, I, guess, I guess they're late, like their subsequent stuff as sort of mumblings yeah like really because fuck I love this album the period and I and I saw it in the list and I was I didn't really well the problem is you don't know which of the 47 different yeah. Weezer Weezer self-titled albums that is because they've self-titled at least five yeah. uh, all you know them by is the colour but when you put but, it that way it, it is still a, it's the, a fucking good album it is it is just full of and it was doing something very different. And for me, it's a bit of a, a signifier of the stuff that Triple J had been up to me that wasn't getting played on commercial. Like, I would have never heard a song like fucking The Sweater Song or Buddy Holly or fucking El Scorcho off the album after this. I just, where would I have heard that before? And yeah. it was just cool and interesting and quirky and it did stuff that I'd never really experienced before. Hmm. Good album. So, like, they, they really, they really did singles quite well back in those days, right? Buddy Holly just fucking yeah, just kick ass. I, they did videos really well too. I mean, that's yeah. the thing. The thing I most remember about that is the video to Buddy Holly, the fucking um, uh, having Weezer play on um, on Happy Days on the set, and it, they just spliced them in so perfectly that it was impossible to tell. But it wasn't, um, it wasn't Imperial. All right. Where to go, where to go, where to go. We're at number eight for Beasties. Mm. None of his picks have been, have been uh, sniped so far. No, I think, I think that... Well, actually, actually, that's not quite true. Multiple of his picks have been sniped so far. He has not successfully sniped any of Doc's picks so far. No, and the, the chance of that... Have- is gone. Oh, you, you might do it by accident. Who knows? No, I'm pretty sure I won't because now I'm in the sort of, um, I'm in the real nostalgia zone, I think. Yeah, as, um, as, um, uh, what's his name? The, the Canadian guy who does, does, is Mark fucking, 
Fuck. Mark Davis? Fuck. Who's that NBA commentator? Does a bit of work for for um, ESPN. I'm going to be really frustrated because he has a great line about this. You, you deepen your bag where the fucking the, the little bits of chips are. <laughs> Just little bits of chips and salt and stuff. Oh, yeah, like, like, yeah, the, like the, the crumbs that... Yeah, yeah, like, you, you where, deep where, in your where, bag where, where the chip crumbs are. Like, like, open the bag up and, like... So you that. are deep in your bag. I'm sure it's Mark Davis. Yeah. It's Mark Jones, you idiot. Doncic deep in his bag like the fries are at the bottom. And he's really good, and I'm frustrated because he does... He often does uh, Kings games with Katie, um, Katie Richardson, who's also awesome. <sighs> Katie Christensen. Dumbass. Okay, I'm gonna, I've got a, I've got a couple of picks here. I'm going to go with "Get on Board" by the Bad Loves. <laughs> That's a good album. One problem with that, and I, I hate to point this out because I don't want to be a dickhead. Mm-hmm. Release date of that is '93. Oh, really? I had that in yes. my '90. I'm sure that came up. No, in my it's end. because it won an award. It won an Ari Award in '94, and I thought, oh shit. Yeah. But and then I, I looked in it and I clicked it, and I was like, no, this was released in like July '93. Interesting like, because fuck. I. I had that on my 90... Because I, I basically used the Wikipedia 94 release. Interesting. Now, we'll do... I'll, I'll have a quick... I'll, uh, bad Loaves. That happens if you're a shit baker. Get on board. Album by the Bad Loves, 1993. There you go. All right, well... Yeah, it's 93. That's a shame. It is a fucking... We'll, we'll just fucking take a moment to say fucking cracking album and it's a shame they literally didn't do anything subsequent to that for like 15 years or so no it, it was weird that sort of like a uh, they were more like, like, a, like an old school soul R&B band they were almost like what Jimmy Barnes was trying to do with yeah, his I, um, I was going to say that like the, the, the next progression of uh, the Black Sorrows which is a, a band that I just Absolutely love. Yeah, yeah, I see that. And also that, remember when Jimmy Barnes did his fucking soul yeah. and R&B bit? Yeah. It, it was like, there was a bit of a vein of that. But And in fact, I remember Jimmy Barnes and Black, the Bad Lives doing a duet together. Yes, they um, did. And they, they did a cover of The Weight, I think. I um, had to audition for the Year 12 School musical, and I sung Green Limousine as my audition song. And I cannot sing, and I still got to lead from singing that's that a, song. A, so. That's a fucking banging song, too. Yeah. It is a dirty, sleazy fucking blue song. And that's that's brilliant. But unfortunately, 1993, and I suspect right. that's actually, I know Adam was saying that one of his favorite albums of, of, of the 90s is, was actually released in is 1993, and I, just, I wouldn't be surprised if it was that, to be honest. Uh, okay, let's go Brother Sister by the Brand New Heavies. The Brand New Heavies. I did not have that on my fucking bingo card. Congratulations to you. No, it, and that was one that, like, if you said to me, okay, name off all the 1994 releases, I probably could have named you 30 albums around, you know, 93 to 96, and that wouldn't have come up. But, man, I listened to the fuck out of this album. This was... So this album I got into through um, some associated uh, sort of guys that used to do session stuff for the Resin Dogs um, when I sort of just started to, to dip into that into those circles. And, you know, they're like, oh, you know, you, you need to listen to Brother Sister. So way, way after the, the, the fact. Um, but that 
sort of new wave jazz funk. I, I guess this was sort yeah. of like my my entry, my gateway drug to you know Fat Freddy's Drop and and yeah. some of the like. It's not very dubby, but it's 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 in the same neighbourhood, I guess, the same postcode. Yeah. Um, but man, I, like I thrashed this album in period. Like not in period. So when when we got into brand new heavies, like this was just a, like played again and again and again. Back when you know you sort of always played ten or fifteen albums all the time. Yeah, when all you had was ten or fifteen albums. Yeah, because that's all you could afford. Because yeah. ten or fifteen albums is like three hundred dollars worth of music. That's right. <laughs> which is which, <laughs> which is, is currently a, like two years worth of Spotify. That's right. It's a lot of money. Um, yeah, that's a lot of money. All right, what are you going next? Where are we up? What number was that? Was that eight? Oh, uh, that was you were on eight, so I'm on eight. And, and for my eighth, I'm going to pick America by the Black Crows. Interesting. Uh, I remember when, when we did the Black Crows, um, we were trying to figure out what their best album was, and we came to the conclusion it was this one, and not and and it was not just because it has pubes on the cover. Um, yeah, th- this is this might be their best album. It's certainly the most controversial album. Uh, it's a good capture. It's a, a good capturation of the <laughs> capturation. Interesting word. It's, it, it captures who they were in in the, the mid nineties, uh, sleazy and full of drugs, and just playing dirty old rock and roll. They refused to accept that music had changed, which I thought was really. It's interesting. The Black Crow's career is kind of a a counterpoint to. The, the end of hair metal and the rise of grunge because these guys at the same time just popped up and said hey we're just gonna do fucking stones style blues rock and you can fucking like it or you can stick it up your ass and uh and that's exactly what happened mm. they stuck it up their ass but um yeah America by the Black Crows I re- one of the other reasons I've got this up um ahead of any of uh, some other bands is that I remember this album cover. I remember the controversy over it. I remember the fucking censored stickers that would go on it, insanity, um, and that that kind of whole, you know, titillating controversy shit was um, uh, kind of made me uh, aware of the album long before I ever listened to it. So, um, America by Black Rose. I think a, a, a Conspiracy, which was the lead single off this, uh, was in the hottest 100. So. Um, it's amazing to think that these guys got played on Triple J, uh, because the, the equivalent would yeah, be like Nickelback being played on Triple yeah, J in the t- in two thousands. That's right, yeah. And, which isn't really fair for, for the Black Crows, but um, yeah. Um, hmm. I'm going to pivot and I'm going to go with an album that I don't really like. No, no. It's, <laughs> I'm going to pick some shit I fucking hate. Here's John Farnham's '97 <laughs> comeback album. No, it's more an album that. Like, I like a lot of the songs on it, but I don't know whether I could really, like, I, I really listen to it as an album. I'm going to go Bex Mellow Gold, which has oh, yeah? has Loser, has Beer Can, has Sweet Sunshine. Like, I, I, I must have had this album because I played those songs quite a bit. Um, and I, I know this, I have this listed as a mentioned in dispatches. Yeah. Like, I know this album exists. I've never listened to it, but uh, think, like you, I'm like, this must have been good because it's got a lot of good stuff on it. But then again, I have the Beck album after this. Well, well not too far after this. I have 96's Odelay, which is probably his early career yeah. highlight. Yeah. And 
nobody ever talks about Mellow Gold in the same light as they talk about Odelay, so that, but, no, but, I suspect that tells but, you something. But, then again, the Dust Brothers did did um, Odelay, and they didn't do Mellow Gold. Uh, but if you're talking Triple J, like Loser and Beer Can, which is yeah. a song that you heard all the time. Uh, yeah. So maybe maybe I, I heard this album more on on radio than... Then, um, Maybe you just heard the, the edited highlights on yeah. on, um, on the National Youth Network. Which again, I'm going to hit this point again. This is how important the National Youth Network was to us as teenagers. This is why people of our generation get so upset with what Triple J is now. Yeah. And But, you know, the media has changed and everything else has changed. So people have got to move on. We might. All right. But people should. What have you got for number nine? Number nine, number nine. I'm going to take, and this is definitely not something that I would have picked up in period, but something that I discovered subsequently. I'm going to take Orange by the John Spencer Blues Explosion. And the reason for that is Blues Explosion. <laughs> um, and that's the end of my argument, the Blues Explosion. This is this is the one that has bell bottoms, as in the, the, in, the, the song they used for the intro of Baby Driver, that whole long section, um, that whole, whole long opening um Gambit uh, before Kevin Spacey came in and ruined the film by existing. Um, these guys are a little bit like a fucked up title on um, Black Crows brought back the blues because the blues are number one uh, in a way that was much more indie and alternative and fucked up. Remember, we did, I think we did this as a classic album, Eels. Uh, was it either this or we did one of the more recent ones, and we went back to this, and it was like, this is fucking weird <laughs> compared to the more recent stuff. They really were fucking about. Um, playing around with distortion and, and, and electronica and all kinds of bits and pieces. There really was a blues explosion. Look, I feel like I need an Australian album to, to round out my, my top ten. So I'm going to go Nick Cave's Let Love In. Let love in, Link Cave and the Bad Seeds. Look, I, I really wanted to pick a Dave Graney album, but 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 there's only there's there's one from '94, but it's not a good it's, one. It's it's no no the the two good ones are the either like there's a good one either in '93, yeah there's yeah. A good, there's a good one in Night, Night of the Wolverine, Night. I think is '94, isn't it? No, '93 is Night of the Wolverine. Soft and sexy sound is '95, and you want to be there, but you don't want to travel. That's the not, one, yeah. Is '94. And like it's got good songs on it. I'm gonna release your soul. Um, uh, yeah, it's like the stars, baby, the stars. Like there's like a couple of good songs, but like it's sort of bracketed by his two really like the, man. He released an album in '91, '92, '93, '94, '95, '97, '98. Like it was back when people used to record walk. stuff. Yeah. None of this like the hives releasing two albums in twelve years kind of shit. Yes. Um, but Nick Cave the, and the Bad Seeds. We should probably talk about the, the people yeah. you actually picked. Actually, no, yeah. fuck, you should pivot and pick Dave Graney. Because uh, Nick, no, Nick, no, Nick no, Cave that, is that, becoming increasingly punishing as he gets older. Yeah, but this is this is sort of like I don't know. It, it's sort of the the peak of what I'd like. It's got Do You Love Me. It's yeah. got Red Right Hand. It's yeah. got Thirsty Dog. It's got like there's some. Fucking cracking song, and it's sort of yeah, like you're right. it might be the peak of of Nick Cave as Nick Cave. It's the intersection of 
Nick, Nick Cave being a moody, introspective bastard, but also writing really catchy songs, <laughs> I guess. But, but also not being totally wrapped up in the idea of himself. Because yeah. I feel like at some stage, Nick Cave turned into a person who was very aware that he was Nick Cave and had to keep playing the role of Nick Cave. Whereas at, at this stage, he was still fucking Nick Cave. I reckon the, the fucking duet with Kylie was kind of the point at which he realised, hey, this is a big deal. I can keep being a big deal. Yeah. By, by, by being this, this weird kind of neo-gothic, deep-voiced fucking, you know, um, hammer horror villain kind of character. But in 1994, he wasn't quite that dude yet. So it was interesting. Um, there was an, uh, an interview with um, Trent Reznor recently, where Heard of. That, was, yeah. that that was saying, you know, are you going to are you going to do a, a nine inch nails for a He's like, oh, no. It's like also I'm the life. only one. I'm, basically, I am nine inch nails. If I turn up, it's yeah. a revival tour. Nobody else remembers any of the other pricks, but, except but for maybe like, my mates. My, I, I have two friends who got. I've, I have some friends who got married because they were members of a nine inch nails. Um, fan website like my friend married this dude because he was the the, the admin of the most important fucking Nine Inch Nails fan website on, on the internet so uh, uh, so apart from those two nobody else gives a fuck and nobody else cares who's who's in Nine Inch Nails apart from apart from Trent but, but he was sort of saying look the, the, the days of me out and hanging in grimy live me, like I write soundtracks now I have a I have a I'm old. established established daytime career where I can have a family like oh, I don't need to be this sort of angry anti-establishment musical figure I've got a, I've got a career where I'm writing music and I'm happy what why would I want to go back and dip into that wow thing? And I, wow and, holy shit because in the 90s to sell out was the worst imaginable thing no that is the most that is the most sold out shit imaginable you've turned your back on all the people who care about your art and all you want to do is make advertising jingles and take your kids to soccer practice. Oh, I don't know whether I don't know whether you Trent Reznor, you fucking sellout. You are an embarrassment whether, to the nineties. You are banned from being in Gen X. I don't know whether music soundtracks are really advertising jingles. I think I mean they a are. They use their, their advertising. No, they're advertising whatever Netflix bullshit they're trying to sell. Um, you are I'm, the you are the, the background tunes for someone's terrible movie. I'll send you a, a, an interesting um, little YouTube clip of, I, I don't know if you knew this, but Soderbergh recut uh, Raiders, I think. Raiders? Raiders of the Lost, Lost Ark. What was he doing in Raiders? He could recut oh, yeah. traffic and make it an hour shorter. <laughs> it was a good um, movie, but, you know, it was a little bit so long. He, so he, he, he basically took Raiders of the Lost Ark, took all the dialogue out of it, and then use Trent Reznor's score from The Social Network and I can't remember what the other movie was. And it was bored over lockdown, wasn't he? Yeah, pretty much. But he, he used it as a way to sort of like really uh, highlight the um, like the d- dramatic um, effect of the, the cinematography, like, you know, really show what the shot was showing, stripped of the dialogue. And it's 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 a really interesting thing, but it's also. But what he's also pointed is that none of the dialogue in an Indiana Jones film is actually necessary because it's just grunt, grunt in direction of bad thing, grunt in direction of good thing, grunt in direction of woman. (laughs) Well, 
Well, J- John Wick is the absolute fucking yes epitome of that, right? Throw so horse in direction it's, of bad thing. It's literally just brooding, brooding Keanu. But hey, John John Wick works really well, I have to say. Well, uh, and it's making the most of Keanu because let's face it, he's not. He's yeah, not Lawrence Olivier because Lawrence Olivier is dead. Yeah. All right. What is your last pick? My last pick, and you know what my last pick is. Because it's the one I've been daring you to fucking theft off me and there was never ever any chance you were going to theft off me. My number 10 pick is definitely maybe by Oasis, which should have been the my, like, number four pick because it's that good. But um, I just thought I'd leave it hanging just to see how long I could fucking leave it out there. Um, this, is, this is fucking... Um, this is day one in the, um, the Britpop Wars. Park Life by Blue was also released this year, which I'm a little yeah. surprised didn't. You know, that's probably in your listen, um, also also li- receiving votes. Li- listen to that today, not as enjoyable as I thought. I think when when we did the Blur classic albums, we kind of went through and went, "Where's the good album by Blur?" And we kind of came to the conclusion there kind of isn't one. And you, and you you're a big fan of Think Tank, which is quite late career, but yeah. they're all they're all massively flawed in their own kind of way. Whereas Definitely, maybe, if what you want is just a band doing coke rock fucking 70s throwback shit, that's so, what definitely maybe is. It is just fucking stadium bangers for a band that were barely out of playing fucking shitty fucking um, pub rooms. So I've got, a, I've got a theory about this time of time, right? Um, and that is your, your first or second album is your best. Because after that, like we just talked about it with Dave Franey. You're bashing album uh, pardon me, you're bashing albums out every two years or one year. Yeah. You, you know, like you, you probably you've probably got four good songs and then a whole bunch of filler. And, and that's like pulp. Uh Beck has three releases in nineteen ninety four. Three yeah. a massive spike of creativity insane. and then <laughs> Dunsky. But Oasis yeah. are, are the fucking they are the reason that you have that rule. Because yeah. all of Oasis's good stuff comes from when Noel Gallagher was had a shitty fucking office job working for the gas board, and he was writing shitloads of songs and banking them and banking them, and all the best ones went on Definitely Maybe, and all the next best ones went on fucking um, What's the Story Morning Glory, and then they got to be here now, and he'd run out of fucking songs, and then for the rest of their career they've been kind of eking out, eking out whatever they could come up with on the fly. But that's the, that's the gold reserve. They, you'd spent all these fucking strategic reserves across definitely maybe and, and what's the story. Hell of a blowout. But, you know, that's... that's They are the top example of exactly this. That early fucking creativity spike can result in some brilliant shit up front and some pretty grim times when you come to the late 90s. So should we talk about the, the two big albums from 94 that neither of us have picked, which is... Crank by the Hoodoo Gurus, which was uh, th- their first number one album. <laughs> uh, I was going to say Smash by the Offspring and the Nirvana MTV. MTV Unplugged. Look, I'll talk about Smash by the Offspring because that is actually where 90s punk began for me and it was literally next on my reserve list if any of mine got, stru- got spiked. I, I really thought, I really expected you to pick this sort of two or three. Like, that was my... I thought I could snag purple because you would go Dookie Smash pretty high. Yeah, look, uh, 90s punk, I had to remember how important 90s punk was for me in 1994, and it wasn't as important. So, and I was much more kind of grungy and, and rock. Um, 
can you name the fourth, like the the, the fourth single off this track? Uh, like, well, Genocide was my favourite track off Smash. Yeah, but possibly because the guitars reminded me of the uh, guitar sample on Pro Tracker on the Amiga, and that that was that was why I liked the Osprey. Like, like I, I couldn't I couldn't go got to get away. Like, yeah, you know, come out and play self esteem, got to get away, and then it's like, uh. yeah, well. Genocide was my favourite track on that one, but uh, and then they the, the final track was also um, was kind of a remix of that as, as well, I think. But yeah, that was that was also receiving votes. That was just, just on the outside. So I, I have to credit that I listened to much more in 1994, 1995 than um, Dookie by Green Day. But I have to admit that Dookie by Green Day is a much better construct, and probably uh, it was, even if it's just much poppier, um, it, it, it gets in the it gets in my top ten and. Um, and Smash doesn't quite. Also, probably because my favourite track by the Offspring of that era was probably their cover of Smash It Up, which was on the Batman Batman soundtrack, and that wasn't on this album. Um, So, yeah, that kind of tells you that what they were doing on Smash didn't have enough fucking light and shade. Did did you have Look Through This by Hole on your long list? I had it all. It is in my also receiving votes. So so in that kind of area is lifts with this by Hull Vitality by Pearl Jam which is kind of where the, the wheels start falling off from Pearl Jam but it's still, still got some good stuff on it I, I like the album but man Pearl, Pearl Jam was just burnt out by too many share houses for me yeah. sorry uh, and then they did like no code and they disappeared up their own ass and then they were never seen again essentially from what I'm uh, 16 Stone by Bush was, was this year and they they kind of they, they are much more... I kind of feel like they're much more kind of late-arriving fucking uh, us-also act than, um, than, than Stone Pilots were. Um, I, I, I listened to um, Outcast's debut album today. It's, yeah, it's, I, pretty, it's pretty good. It's yeah, pretty good. I, but I, that's the kind of thing I couldn't but pretend I, that I was into it in time, so I, I didn't want to... Didn't want to yeah, I think that's the, the first time I've listened to that album from start to finish. Yeah, so. Southern... Southern playlist music, playlist Cadillac, playlist fucking dick, super yeah. fragile elastic, expialidocious, or something. Um, good on him, but um, the man's now making flute music, so you know, what is that? What is that said you? Um, there was a, you know, there was a Violent Femmes album this year. There yeah. was a Seal album this year, which was huge. Yeah, I mean, in terms of soundtracks, there was also Pulp Fiction, which we kind of alluded to. In terms of kind of British stuff because this is slightly pre-Britpop but post-Manchester happy people scene you've got Give Out But Don't Give Up by Primal Scream which we've yeah. kind of reviewed because we did Scream and Delica as a classic and Give Out But Don't, but Don't Give Up was kind of their set, kind of where they said no we'd rather be the Black Crows and they made like a Black Crows knockoff but it's still okay Second Coming by the Stone Roses came out this year about five years late um, this was on Adam's list of, of albums that he would have picked if, if uh, for his favourite albums of 94 along with um, Aphex Twin and Real McCoy so there's an interesting combination for you Real McCoy as in Another Night the weird German DJ because remember the 90s were the era of the weird fucking Euro dance DJ I actually looked up the album and it appeared to be mostly remixes of Another Night, so I'm not quite sure that counts as an album. That's because it was a joke, you moron. Who the hell likes Second Coming? Jesus Christ. Hello, listeners. This is definitely the voice of Adam. 
And I am breaking into this podcast to correct this slander about my favorite albums of 1994, which are the following. You will want to write these down. Do you have a pen? Anyway, Green Day, Dookie. It's Dookie. It's stupid. It basically perfected pop punk. And every song is a banger, with some super duper bangers thrown in. Cracked Rearview, Hootie and the Blowfish, the template for how to create feel-good, pop-friendly middle-of-the-road music. Couldn't ever be reproduced so they went to goddamn Hootie became a country star. Throwing copper, live, gave this album away and regretted it. It feels like a bit of a cliché to bash these guys, but it's still a good album. Soundgarden, Super Unknown, the best Soundgarden album, or at least he won with all the bangers. No need to argue, Cranberries, how could you argue with this voice, these songs? Portishead, Dummy, listened to this again recently and reminded me that it's amazing bit of soundscape. Offspring, Smash, Dookie for idiots. Under the Table and Dreaming, Dave Matthews Band, the debut album that made him the guy everyone hates, yet every college student in America has seen, aside from from a few songs on Crash, etc. This is the one with all the good songs. Far Beyond Driven, Pantera, not as good as the last two, but still a strong opening for the five songs. STP Purple, it was between this and definitely maybe, but Oasis are slightly less than these guys. Australian albums don't usurp any of the ones up top, but these are the best. Bad Loves, Get On Board, all the songs that are still played on Triple M. Good solid Aussie rock. Deborah Conway, epic, one of the great Australian female vocals. Though she's a bit questionable these days. Honeymoon is over, I would have picked this. But I saw Tex Perkins last week perform possibly the worst gig I've ever seen. And if you don't like it, then hey, fuck you! That is all. Go back to your shanties. So put a quarter in your ass cause you played yourself. Um... Uh, we mentioned Park Life, Prisoners by Pulp. We should mention Frog Stomp, because it was kind of big at the time. Was that 94? I thought it was 94, but, you know, people think thought, it was 94. I thought that was 95, yeah. Yeah, I had in my head that it was 94, but, you know, it was it was impossible to forget the buzz for this. It was like a ratbag Newcastle teenage Beatleman. I had bedtime stories by Madonna and, and Return of the Space sure Cowboy, did. but you remember Jamiroquai on my list because yeah, that, that was his debut. Period. Yep. Um, In terms of hip hop, there was uh, music in our message by Public Enemy, just kind of post then like like the first Nas album. Yeah, Illmatic. Who cares? Yep. Ready to Die by Biggie, which feels like manifesting given that he did very subsequently afterwards. Um, Kylie Minogue's self-titled indie album that got her played on Triple J. Um, House there was Pain. House Pain, yeah. Yeah. There was um, the ultimate combination of Under the Pink and Hungry for Stink, Tori Amos and L7. Yeah. Um, there was Throwing Fucking Copper Fucking yeah. by okay. Fucking Live. So, so that's, that was the album that, that, that we probably that, need to talk about that because is, that was that ubiquitous. Huge, massive, massive, massive period, and I cannot fucking stand it. No, it, I will. I will cut you rather than listen to it. That, it, that it, is, I will. I will kill anybody standing between me and the door if I. It, if it, it was. It was like. It was like the last of hair metal had listened to Stone Temple Pilots and and uh, Super Unknown and had a crack. 
and had a but not not only had a crack, had converted to fundamentalist Christianity and then had a crack. Yeah. Because that is that there's a thread of fucking Christian rock in that, and that was not even the worst part about it. The worst part about it was the music because the music was fucking horrific. It was so bad. Um, God shuffled his feet by Crash Test Summons. That was a big, <laughs> yeah. I didn't see that, that on the list. A, that was a big album in that year. Oh, I did. I did see that on the list. Um, Jarrah Flies by Alice in Chains. I kind of thought that was yeah, in my possibly getting b list. I went back and listened to that. No, not as good. Not as good it's as It's not the as other. good as it's not no. as good as is their really good stuff. The other thing is that technically it's an EP, even though it goes for half an hour. But then I thought, you picking an EP for an album's list would probably be entirely <laughs> on fucking message. Um, I was thinking about um, picking the two Regurgitator EPs that dropped yeah, around this time. Yeah, I did that as well. The buzz, the buzz for those was so immense. I remember thinking, I remember hanging out for the for the arrival of Two Playing. But then I noticed that the new, which was the better of the two, actually dropped in 95, so that, that kind of didn't work. Um... I want to mention Welcome to Sky Valley by Caius. I can't pretend this was an in-period listen, but this essentially started Stoner Rock along with um, No One Writes for Free by Fu Manchu. So this was kind of the beginning of a genre that I absolutely dig, but um, I didn't really know at the time. What else can we mention? Um, Punk and Drublick by NoFX. Um, Point Blank by Nailbomb, which was a cult metal classic. Um, Far Beyond Driven, which was something we mentioned with Adam. Uh, it's not. It's, it's, it starts alright, but it doesn't quite land. Um, Spin Doc, Doctor's Failed Second Album. Uh, the last Good Stones yeah. album before last year. Powderfinger's horrible debut album, the one about without about wooden ears. Yeah. Oh. Prince's last album before becoming an unpronounceable wingding. And most <laughs> importantly of all, Wide World of Sports 2. Well, <laughs> As mentioned at the start that, of the episode. That, that would have been a legitimate pick, I think. The bottle from Magi. That, that's a great. That's a great. Uh, and. Is not something that exists anymore. The comedy album. Well, not not at, well. Uh, it, guess, pro- it probably does, but we just don't see it in the same kind of way. It's well, it's an it's it's a Netflix special now, right? Yeah, yeah. It's 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 um it's a yeah it's a, or it's a it's just a comedy special. It's a one hour that's been released on on fucking YouTube. Uh, I had a listen to the Underworld album from this year. Can't pretend that I ever listened to it in period or close to period. Uh, there's a few tracks I really like on it. Not, is not. this kind of in between their late 80s initial peak and their yeah, yeah. and their fucking um, transporting subsequent peak? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think we've covered everything. So shall, shall we... I've got nothing we, else. Shall we wind forward 30 years and pick a, pick a new album? Yeah. <laughs> we should pick the new album by fucking Green Day. Um, <laughs> no, let's not do that. Um... What do you want to pick for uh, for next week, Bruce? I'm gonna in in keeping with my uh, you know conversion to guitars and and drums. I'm gonna go with a garage rock album from a band called Sprints called Letters to Self, which I think you're really gonna dig. Listen to a couple of tracks today. Um, that was released on the 5th of January, and it was the very first album on my to-pick list for this year. So <laughs> congratulations, you've finally sniped one of my picks. <laughs> so we've come we've come through 20 albums before I've managed to snipe you. I did think that you might have this on your long list. Um, I, I had a, I don't know well, where. To I be came honest, up with it was track. mostly because it was the it was going to be released on the 5th of January, and I thought, yeah. well, at least I'll have one. Yeah. Um. So then it's up to you for the for the next pick than Joker, I guess. 
Uh, you were already giving up the Joker. Um, I'm going to uh, pick. There is a new uh, album. I, I, Sorry, I do have a Joker, but but I don't know whether you're going to agree with that. It's that fucking Green Day album, isn't it? No, um, it's not actually. I'm going to pick the new album by Ty Siegel, which came out today. Yeah, um, I saw that today. Yeah. Ty Siegel is invariably good. Uh, I am generally super pro Ty Siegel, whether doing his own stuff or out front of fuzz. Um, so I'm in for anything he does. Uh, so I'm in for this, Ty Siegel's new album, which I haven't even bothered to look up the title of because I'm that much in. What if you? What would you propose for a, um, a Joker album? So, like, I'm really fascinated by Kid Cudi, and the reason I'm fascinated by it is because he's one of the, like, fully auto-tune artists, right? He does not have a good voice, so he auto-tunes a lot. But the funny thing is, when he brings out a song where he doesn't use the auto-tune, it's really fucking good. Like, it's got this dirtiness and, you know, like Abs talks about, you know, get down in the dirt, you know, don't, don't. Like, if you've got a voice, just use your voice. Don't fucking try and make it sound like everything else. But I guess because he's a well-known artist that sells, you know, lots of singles or sells streams, you know, he feels like he's got to have this generic auto-tuned voice. So he sort of goes probably 30, 70, you know, not auto-tuned, auto-tuned. But I was I was just interested to see which way he fell on this album, but not so much that if you've got a compelling Joker on, I'm going to like, no, we have to listen to Kid Cudi. I can just listen to it in my own time. I don't really care. I have I have one compelling counter-argument, and that is 21 songs, one hour, four minutes. Oh, that's a long time to listen to Kid Cudi, isn't it? That's a long time to just take a fucking <laughs> Becky on it. I think- yeah. I think you'd get upset with it in the first 10 and regret every fucking minute afterwards. Mm, okay, so you're not going to suggest Green Day, eh? Let's do the Green Day album. No, no, we know, we know what that's going to sound like. They haven't done anything interesting or cool in the last 25 years. Were you interested in the Slady Kitty album? No, they've they've kind of... They've, they've jumped the shot. I'm really... To be honest, I'd be more interested in The Smile, which is that fucking Radiohead spinoff. Oh, but I okay. kind of know that'll be a wank. Yeah. But but sometimes that's gonna be a massive wank, but it might be interesting. Sometimes a wank can be enjoyable, you know? There's nothing else out there. <laughs> well, you wouldn't do it otherwise, would you? <laughs> but sometimes it could be troubling and, you know, embarrassing and humiliating. You feel, you feel a bit dirty afterwards. Hello, officer. Um <laughs> I don't know how I happen to be outside this change room. Um but it is on my list of like I don't know what this is, and maybe it's interesting. Kind okay, of stuff. let's go. Let's go with that. That's it. Yeah, you know, it's the smile. It's it's actually it's their second album, and their first album was was relatively. It was actually started last year, I think. So they're they're, they're a January act. They figured out there's a um, competitive advantage in releasing albums in January when nobody else is paying attention. So, so which parts of Radiohead are are in Smile? Uh, it's Tom York, it's Greenwood, uh, there might be a third, but I okay. think it's just Tom York and, and old mate Greenwood, Johnny Greenwood. Um, not that I care because I was never that much of a radio head, head to be thinking, well, I reckon, I reckon the bass player is a better songwriter than the fucking second guitarist. It might it, be a bag of pop, and it might be even it might be one minute, one hour, five minutes long. But it, you know. it's radio is really funny, right? Because no, they're I, not. They are notoriously <laughs> incredibly grim. But but I really really like 
some Radiohead stuff and I feel embarrassed to like them because they've literally gone so far up their own ass that it's like Yeah, but but I feel like there's there's a cutoff point. You can say, look, before OK Computer, they were they fucking they were great. But they I, were but really I like good. Them. I love Pablo Honey. I love fucking um But the I like bears. OK Computer. I really like OK yeah, Computer. But OK Computer is the point at which you could see you know, it's almost like the, that Star Wars um one of the Star Wars prequel where you can yeah. see Aiden Christensen uh, through his yeah. terrible acting turning evil. You can see yeah. them turning towards the dark side of masturbatorial self-interest. Yeah. Mm. So on the plus side, this album is only 45 minutes long, so that's sure. that's 25% better if thank it sucks. You, thank you, Cody. Yes. <laughs> and I guarantee that Tom Bjork isn't, isn't using auto-tune. I'd be, almost, I'd be almost certain to fucking sign up to that. All right. Well, that was, that was uh, like not quite an old school Desert Island Discs absolute <laughs> shit show. This so episode what? has gone for about two hours, so that should be good to edit. <laughs> yeah, you, the, good good luck editing. Uh, though, to be fair, there's a fair bit of- I don't yeah. edit. It'll just be that. It'll just be is with the length that it is. Pissing off and going and getting more alcohol, so- um, that was five uh, minutes. We, we have another hour and fucking 45 that we have to we filled in as well. Um, good times, though. I look forward to doing this every January. We might have to do it earlier in January and then split it up. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. We're wasting like three episodes of content here. We can really break this up. All right. I don't think anyone's queuing up to fucking hear our eight through ten picks <laughs> for our favourite albums in 1995 somehow. Uh... All right, Doc, I'll catch you on the flip side. Catch you next week, folks. Thank you for your attention. We'll talk to you later. See you later.